when it's a permeating influence. And what this verse is saying is that the wise person's words are great and that they are permeated with the aroma of grace so that it's unmistakable. Like to make chili. Toward outsiders, making the best use of the time, reading the time. Let your speech always be gracious. That's the permeating influence. That your speech would be known that way, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. That you should have the kind of, of thought processes going on where you're measuring your words. You know, Jesus, in Luke 4, when Jesus goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stands up, and, and they hand him Isaiah, and he's reading the scriptures, and he's fulfilling the scriptures. He even says that. Today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. You know what they said about him as he, he continues to speak? They're marveling because of the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. You're like, well, that was Jesus. Well, are you a follower of Jesus? Are you reflecting Jesus? All spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words coming forth from his mouth. The verse that haunts me is Ephesians 4.29. I don't have to even turn to it. I know it by heart. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. You know what that word unwholesome means? Rotten. It's garbage. Don't let garbage don't let garbage come out of your mouth. But we do, don't we? We we let it happen. We choose it. It's not anyone someone else's fault. 
Someone doesn't force us to say words that we use. Some of you have some adjectives you keep using all the time, and everyone around you is like, stop using those adjectives. They're not appropriate. They're vulgar. They're wrong. Only such a word as is good for edification, building up, according to the need of the moment. Not every word that builds up is necessary in that moment. That it will give grace to those who hear. There's your ground rules for speaking. You're taking notes? Take these down. Here's your ground rules for speaking. Number one, will it honor God? Because if it's rotten, it won't. Will it help? You notice, according to the need of the moment. You know, will it build someone up? And is it necessary? The need of the moment. Will it, will it build them up? Will it help them? And is it necessary? Will it honor God? Will it help? Is it necessary? Do you realize if you put your words through that filter, you'd stop hurting so many people with the things you say? We all stand accused of things we've said and done. Praise God for forgiveness in Christ. The contrast in verse 12 is with the fool's character. Look at verse 12. Words of the wise man's mouth win in favor. They're grace, but the lips of a fool consume him. The, the, the fool's character, the fool's reputation, even the man himself is consumed by the consequences of his words. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, we'll see what Jesus says about this. You know, Psalm 52, verse 4, says, You love all devouring words, you deceitful tongue. James 3 talks about the tongue being a fire, consuming, destroying. The lips of a fool consume him. What did Jesus say? Matthew 12, verse 33, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Now, if that doesn't stop you in your tracks, I don't know what will. Stops me in my tracks. Makes me take to heart whatever's going to come out of my mouth. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. And if you want to talk about being devoured by your words, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Does your mouth speak the praises of God? Does your mouth proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord? Does from the same mouth, as James put it, come both blessing and cursing? Move on to verse 13. It goes on about the fool. The beginning of the words of a fool's mouth is foolishness. And the end, so this is running the whole gamut, okay, from start to finish. The whole process from foolish start to disastrous end. The beginning of the fool's words is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. Wow. The source of words traced to the inner character spans the process from foolish start to disastrous end. And it's a, it's a moral perversity. That's how one, one person put it. Morally perverse irrationality. It's both moral and mental. You notice it's, it's evil madness. It's moral and mental. Refuses the will of God, refuses the word of God. That's the kind of person who would be considered in, in this being described this way. And you think about the current national decline that we're experiencing in the United States of America. 
They can be traced to this. Wicked madness. Morally perverse irrationality. And by the way, many people who, who profess faith in Christ are, are literally sliding headfirst into the depths of this kind of destruction by twisting the scriptures to their own demise and their life reflects that and there's no room in their life for unadulterated truth and so they're not being changed by the word and they're being conformed to the world. Verse 14 tells us the fool just multiplies all of that. You notice what it says? The fool multiplies words? I mean, fools hate, hate silence. Carl Jung once said, I need many days of silence to recover from the futility of words. Paul Simon sung of people talking without speaking and people hearing without listening. The fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be and who can tell him what will be after him. Kind of a tricky phrase there, kind of a tricky verse to, to interpret there. It either means that the fool can't see what his babbling brings, or more likely it's this, he thinks he can predict the future. That fools babbling unwise things think they can predict the future. And arrogantly presumes that he can master the world. Then what happens is you get ultra-confident boasting out of a person like that. They have no knowledge of the present, let alone the future. But the wise confess their ignorance of the way everything works. And they trust God. and They know they, they never tr stop trusting God. The wise know, if you're wise, you know you, you are never going to be in a position where you will need to stop trusting God. And they, so you don't make brash plans uh, brash uh, claims about your plans. Well, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. You know, you can't do a master class on predicting outcomes. You can't be the expert who, who figures it all out. God has not granted access to the details of the way everything works in life. It's impossible to know how the world is completely set up and how all the intricate workings, it's like a fine watch that you know has all these movements and only god knows all the pieces that are moving and we by the way this is how good god is to us we are unaware all day long of of everything we would need to know to live in absolute security and uninterrupted success that is not accessible to us we are not independent contractors like doing everything on our own what did james say here's how you should talk it comes from your thinking if the lord wills i'll do this or that if it's god's will i'm making my plans but i will not boast arrogantly and predict the future and look at verse 15 the toil of fools just wearies him. He doesn't even know the way to the city. If he can't get to the city, how will he get to God? <laughs> He's not going to acknowledge life's vaporous nature. He's going to make everything in his life needlessly difficult. The, the, the toil of a fool wearies him. Now we're getting into his, not just his words, but his deeds. And he's getting the simplest things wrong. This is the kind of person that would get lost on an escalator. 
This is the kind of person that doesn't know enough to come out of the rain, to come inside out of the pouring rain. He can't find the city. How could he find God? And by the way, not knowing the way to the city, you know what that means? He will not seek counsel and advice. That's what that means. It doesn't mean he doesn't have a map. It means he will not ask for wise counsel and advice. Do you know someone like that? Who will never ask anyone's advice because they know it all? And they're always just making pronouncements. The fool will not submit or listen to the community and the wise people in the community. Proverbs 29, 11 says this, the fool vents all his feelings. Never heard of a, never had a thought they didn't want to express. It says whatever he wants, but the wise holds it back. I love that. The fool gives full vent to all his feelings, but the wise holds it back. You know what the worst thing is? I'm serious. One of the most dangerous things on earth is a professing believer giving full vent to every thought they ever have. Giving full vent to unwise words. Giving full vent to venom. That's the worst. That's worse than an unbeliever doing it. The unbeliever doesn't know any better. The regenerate absolutely knows better. And does it anyway. Great application. The most simplest of applications, you've already already thought of it. Um, Here it is, ready? My parents taught me this when I was young. Think before you speak. Wow, what a novel thought. Get counsel from trusted advisors before you spout off everything to the ends of the earth. Okay? Bless people with your words. And then and extend simple grace. Because you're going you're gonna to say things that you actually, actually don't mean long term. And you're going to hear things that people will say that they don't mean long term. You're going to hear or say words for the wind, Job 6.26. The words of the despairing man belong to the wind. Let, let them blow in the wind. Let them fall to the ground. Don't hold every person to everything they ever say. Would you like to be held to everything you ever say? Some comment? Some opinion you put out that you shouldn't have? You put it on social media, it's there for the public record. Everyone takes screenshots, so you will probably be held to that. You want to be a safe person to be around. You want to be, uh, the fool is not safe to be around. The wise are safe to be around. You want to be the kind of person who is safe to share with, who is safe to be honest with. People could, could fi- confide in. Now, that doesn't mean that you're, around, you're, you're excusing sin and gossip and slander. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, we were just sharing. Oh, I, they need some word event. Well, you passed it on. So I guess they couldn't trust you. Not excusing sin or gossip, but you help people process in a godly way where you listen to them and correct when necessary and help them. Proverbs 26, 4 and 5, I keep looking at these verses like every week. Here's how it goes. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Like, don't get in a big argument with a fool. 
But the next verse says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Like, you need to correct foolishness, or else they're going to think that you agree with them. So you reprove or rebuke toxic people if there's no change. You stay away. This is what Titus 3 says. The person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Such a person is warped and sinful, self-condemned. Proverbs 22.10 says, drive out the scoffer. Strife will go out. Quarreling and abuse will cease. What you want to do is betrend, befriend truthful believers. You want to beware toxic troublers. You know what some people do? They deceptively smile and then betray. Psalm 55, verse 21, talks about them. Their words are smooth as butter, but war is in their heart. They're drawn swords. Don't waste your time. Then your eyes and ears and mind be polluted and assaulted by the ungodly need that someone has to be seen and heard. No, redeem the time. Redeem the time. God's gift should be used for good. And I'm thinking to myself right now, we're only going to look at these verses today because it's getting, the time is getting away from me. And, and uh, we'll just go ahead and pick up the rest of this passage next week. Well, let me, let me throw something out to you, okay? I want you to go over to Psalm 141. So I want you to go over to Psalm 141. And I want you to see something that, that David sees. And I want you to... Um, so take this to heart with me. And in Psalm 141, David says this, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. You see that? Set a guard over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. You see that? Don't let my heart incline to any evil to busy myself with wicked deeds in company with men who work iniquity. Let me not eat of their delicacies. I don't want to be around that, Lord. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. But here's what I want you to think with for a moment. This is not autopilot. Okay, Lord, set a guard over my mouth, and I'm going to walk away and just do whatever I want. No, you have a part to play. You choose wise words. The person praying, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth, is thinking, I don't want to displease God with my words. I'm going to ask that question. Will it honor God? Will it help other people? Is it needed? And I think of that verse that Paul said to Timothy where he said, guard through the Holy Spirit that indwells you the good deposit that's been entrusted to you. Guard the treasure. Guard the gospel. And, and that takes self-control. Depraved, this unwise people disregard God's revelation, but dependent believers choose to measure their words. We'll talk next week about minding our ways, okay? But let's just focus. One more time. I want you to go to one more place. Psalm 19. This is a great place. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. This is all about the word of God. Sweeter than honey. Drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, here, here it is. By them your servant is warned. You see that? You need to be careful with your words. When you're, you're handling the word of God and it's telling you, be careful with your words. 
In keeping them, there is great reward. And then verse 12, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. And then verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Beloved, Let's resolve to be people who are careful with our words, shall we? Someone once prayed, Lord, please make my words sweet. I may have to eat them. Think right. Get some good advice. Then broadcast what would please God. Oh, Lord, we thank you that we, by your spirit, through your word, can get these, these truths deep down into our soul. May we... Be careful with our words. May we, may we measure our words because they matter. They matter to you. And Lord, we don't want to be people that, that lead people away from Christ. We want, people, we want to be people that point people to you, to Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. And so Lord, we want to pray for, for your grace to, to live for your glory with our words. And we know it starts in our hearts. Transform us by your grace that you would be glorified. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We come to the Lord's table. The Lord's table that is based upon words that Jesus spoke and gave to his church. You know, I love that prayer. The psalmist says, search me, O Lord, and know my heart. I think about Christ dying for our sins and how grateful that makes us, how yielded that makes us, and how forgiven that makes us when we believe in him. When we come to a table like this that God has has designed for remembrance. That we would be careful when we come to this table. We're told. We're told to be very careful when you approach this table. The Bible says that if you eat of the bread and drink of the cup in an unworthy manner, you're guilty of the body and blood of Christ. You bring judgment upon yourself. What does that mean? Well, it would be someone who would say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but you're really not. Or, yeah, I'm a follower of Christ, but you're not following him. Or you're harboring sin in your heart and not really caring about it and then putting it on a front for everyone else. But here's the thing. God sees everything. You know, we live what is called in Latin, coram Deo, before the face of God. God sees everything. You know, you, you, I'm not afraid of the Google camera. I'm afraid of, I'm fearing God. I, I'm, I'm worshiping him. I'm, he's the one who sees everything. And he's my judge. And he's the one whose assessment matters. And, and, and the one, when you come to this table, it matters if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. This table is open to all who believe. You don't have to be a member of Grace Church. You don't have to, you know, give certain things to the church or do certain things. You need to be a believer in the Lord Jesus who has placed your faith in Christ alone 
knowing that he was your substitute at the cross and he shed his blood in your place and that he knows right this moment the condition of your heart and he knows the condition of your soul. And we are to come freely and boldly and because of his mercy to come and remember him. It gives us one more reminder how good the gospel is and how we are dependent upon Christ. And here we are, people of unclean lips, unclean hearts. We serve a Savior who's perfect and who is at work in every believer to, to make every believer like him. I mean, God is, is working on finished products, and we're not finished yet. He's working on us. He's developing us. He's transforming us little by little, day by day. And one more step along this way is coming to a table like this and remembering Jesus. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, take the bread. Jesus said on the night in which he was betrayed, this is my body which is for you. He's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm dying in your place. And he told his followers, do this. Eat this bread in remembrance of me. Remember me. Look to me. Trust in me. And Jesus said, eat of it, all of you. It's interesting what Jesus, when Jesus was um, in Luke 6, when, it, when they were you know, hearing everything he said after he read Isaiah, they said, wow, gracious words are coming out of his mouth. You know what he read in Isaiah? Here's what he read. When you hear this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to proclaim God's grace to undeserving sinners. If you're a Christian today, it's because of the mercy of God. If you're still alive today, it's because of the mercy of God. And we come to this table and we have a cup. And Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. So do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And Lord, we come to this table dependent always. Coming to this table because of your great love with which you loved us. That you made us alive together with Christ. That the love of Christ constrains us. We have concluded that you died for all of us and therefore we who live should no longer live for ourselves but for you who died in our place and was risen from the dead and was coming back. We love you, Lord. Our hearts cry out, come, Lord Jesus, in your perfect time. We pray in your name. Amen. stand with us as we sing in closing. When I fear my faith will fall, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, 
He will hold me fast I could never keep my hold Through life's fearful past For my love is often cold He must hold me fast He will hold me fast He will hold me fast For my Savior loves me so He will hold me fast Those He saves are His delight Christ will hold me fast Precious in His holy sight He will hold me fast He'll not let my soul be lost His promises shall last Bought by Him at such a cost He will hold me fast He will hold me fast He will hold me fast For my Savior loves me so he will hold me fast. For my life he bled and died, Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied, he will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life He will hold me fast Till our faith is turned to sight When he comes at last He will hold me fast He will hold me fast For my Savior loves me so he will hold me fast. Every time I hear that song, I love that song. I hear it in an Irish accent. He will hold me fast. I'll work on that for a second. Yes. Okay. It's because the first time I heard it, it was sung by someone from Ireland. Huh? The Gettys. Yeah, the Gettys. Yeah. Okay. Um, make sure you get some books. We have good books on the book table that are not just this yellow book, but this is the one we're featuring, but we have other ones as well. And... Um, Go to a class. If you can go to a class, that'd be great. Uh, we have some good, good Bible teachers here and good fellowship in those classes. Well, let's go ahead and close with Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, 
be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. We thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning.
One fear that you have.
With my thoughts, I've been searching for daylight Trying to make sense of the mess Trying to feel like I'm alright All these questions without answers 
and welcome to Grace Church of Orange. We are a Christ-centered community intent on proclaiming the gospel and making disciples and sacrificially serving Jesus. So glad you've gathered together with us under the tent to worship. So glad you are joining us on the live stream. We are here to worship the Lord with all our hearts, with all our soul, and to hear the word and to pray and to sing our hearts out. And as promised, last week we have a bunch of these books, these yellow books, on how the progressive church twists the scriptures and how you can combat that and, and hold the scriptures in highest esteem. And so make sure you get some of those. We, have, we want to get good books into your hands. This is one of them. There are other books on the book table there. But I'm just so glad to be with you, and thank you for joining us uh, to worship the Lord today. And I have a few announcements for you this morning. Isn't that exciting? So uh, just a few things to uh, keep in mind. First, uh, many of you know that uh, our brother Bud Gilbertson went to be with the Lord uh, in the last uh, week. And we just wanted to let you know that his memorial service is going to be Monday, February 22nd at uh, 1 p.m. at Rose Hill. So uh, if you can plan to be there, that would be uh, great. Second, men's ministry has begun meeting for men of the word again on Friday mornings at 7 a.m. So if you are a man and you like the Bible, this is for you. Uh, 7 a.m. in there on uh, Friday mornings. And what we're going to be going through is actually going to dovetail with the the book that Pastor Mike was just talking about regarding progressive uh, Christianity. Next, uh, uh, on your uh, paper that you have in your hand, as well as around the tent, you should see that we have some QR codes that you can just hit with your phone, and that would take you to a place where you can uh, let us know how you're interested in serving, give us some information if you need to update anything. Uh, that's just a great way to stay connected with what's happening at the church, so know that that's available to you. Uh, next, you've probably seen that we've got chairs set up on the lawn out in front of the office, and we've also got uh, chairs in between the modulars there. Uh, we have Bible classes open now, every service, so uh, if you're able, it'd be a great chance uh, to get some more teaching to jump into one of those classes. Uh, that's for third grade and up, so you can go as a family, and then for second graders and younger, we have uh, children's ministry over there for them as well. Uh, next, just want to let any kids know. Any kids in the service right now? If you're a kid, you can raise your hand. Yeah, I see a, I see a few. Uh, guess what? The playgrounds are going to be wide open between services now. I saw some people running around playing tag uh, in between first and second. That was awesome, so just know that those are going to be open. And then finally, mark your calendars. Grace Bible Institute is coming up March 7th. March 7th, a Sunday night here under the tent. We'll be together, and those are always great times uh, as a church together. So just uh, keep that in mind. Uh, and with that, we are going to begin our service by reading from God's Word. So uh, we are going to be in Psalm 98. You can uh, open there with me if you'd like and stand if you're able out of honor for God's Word. Psalm 98, verses 1 through 3. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. And Lord, we thank you this morning that we have seen your salvation. The gospel has come to us. You have opened our eyes to see Jesus Christ as the only Savior. And Lord, it is our desire to worship him with whole hearts this morning. We pray 
that as we sing and pray and hear from your word, that he would get all the glory. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.
Yeah. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 10. So you can turn there with me now in your Bible, Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Pastor Mike will be preaching uh, verses 12 through uh, 20 in just a few minutes here. And let's remain standing together in honor of God's Word. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, starting in verse 12. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time, for strength and not for drunkenness. uh, Through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts... Do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. You can have a seat. And in just a moment, we are going to uh, go to the Lord in prayer together. Before we do, I just want to mention that we'll be praying for uh, James and Rebecca Holt as the missionary uh, uh, family that we want to highlight and pray for today. James is standing right here. James and I are uh, good friends. We drive to seminary together and sit in the same office over there together. And um, yeah, it'll be a, a joy to pray for them. They minister locally to uh, families in the El Medina community. So let's, uh, let's go to the Lord together now in prayer. Father, we are just well aware, even like the song that we were just singing talks about, we are well aware that we are uh, prodigals at heart, and we are constantly turning away from you. Lord, we know that you are supremely good and valuable and beautiful and worthy of all praise, but continually we uh, turn aside from you and go after lesser things. And even this week, we've had misplaced desires where we've loved uh, worldly things, comfort, uh, our own selfish desires. We love those things above you. And Lord, we are in need of your mercy this morning. We thank you that you sent your only son into the world to be savior to sinners. We thank you that Jesus died on the cross in the place of people like us and rose again so that through faith in him, we can have forgiveness and life. Lord, we praise you for that this morning. There is no better news than that we can know you through Christ. And so, Lord, we, we thank you this morning for the indescribable gift of Jesus, our Savior. And we pray that you would work through the songs that we're singing, the conversations that we have, the, the word as it's preached to just turn our hearts and minds toward him again this morning. Lord, we, we need to be refocused and recentered. And we ask that you would open our eyes to see Jesus more clearly this morning. Lord, we want to know him and have our hearts filled with even greater love for him. Lord, we, uh, we thank you for James and Rebecca and just for all of the ways that they serve uh, the body here and, and serve in El Medina as well. And we just pray that you would continue to bless them in their ministry and their personal life as well as they're raising their, their five uh, boys. Anyone would need lots of prayer for that. So, Lord, we pray for grace and just that your, uh, your work in their life would continue to be evident, and Lord, that you'd fill them with joy as they do the work that you've given them to do. Father, we thank you for the chance to be together this morning. It is such a joy to gather, to worship Jesus together, and we ask that everything that we do would all be to that end, that he would get all the glory, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.
understand, God. It's by your spirit that we understand your word. God, give Pastor Mike wisdom as he preaches to us this morning. Let us hear and be those who then go and act to glorify your name by responding to your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. On February 6, 1940, the British government launched a campaign, a national campaign, to prevent people from letting secrets out to the enemy. They didn't want any information uh, to be spoken out loud. They didn't want the, the enemy to know in the middle of World War II. And so the slogan of that campaign was this, careless words cost lives. Careless words cost lives. And there was a tagline, you'll never know who's listening. You don't know. And that's never more true than today. You don't know who is listening. You don't know who is watching. Uh, it's not just your words. It's your deeds as well. And you never know. You never know who's listening to you. You never know who's watching you. You've got cameras all over the place. Every device hears you, and it hears your every word multiple cameras watching you, you've got your video doorbell, you've got Siri, you've got Alexa. Hey, Siri. Oh, it didn't work. Okay. <laughs> I didn't try it first hour. You've got the Google car going around and so much more. And so this is a great place to be in Ecclesiastes 10 today, verses 12 through 20. We're looking in chapter 10 about senselessness and sensibility. Sometimes we act senselessly. God wants us to live with sensibility. And we need to be careful. This is what this passage is telling us. Be careful with your words and be careful with your ways, with your words and your deeds. It's the warning light reminder that we all need far too often. We need it every day. And we're going to take this passage over two weeks. Uh, today we'll look at verses 12 through 15. Next week we'll look at verses 16 through 20. And there's two parts to this passage. First, measure your words, verses 12 through 15. And then secondly, mind your ways, verses 16 through 20. We'll take verses 12 through 15 today about measuring your words, being careful about what you say, about what you choose to say that comes out of your mouth. Now, most of us regret some things we have said and done in life. That shameful words often spring out of our mouths, and they come, the Bible says, from deep down in our hearts. It exposes the true condition of our hearts. 
In Luke chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. James contained the tongue. It is a deadly evil, full of uh, restless evil, full of deadly poison. Matthew 15 uh, gets into the deeds, too, not just what comes out of your mouth. Sure, what comes out of your mouth proceeds from the heart, defiles the person, but out of the heart come evil thoughts, but also murder and adultery and sexual morality and theft and false witness and slander. So our words and our deeds, our words and our ways are very important. We need to be careful with our words and our ways because they are more powerful than we think. There are consequences to our words and our ways. Now, some of those consequences, if you're doing what is right, are very good. And some of them, if you're doing what is wrong, can be very bad. And I think that Solomon's wise words can be a lifesaver for us today. This passage taken to heart as the Holy Spirit has given us this passage and as the Holy Spirit applies this to our hearts, this can be a lifesaver that fosters both wisdom and integrity in your life, in my life, in our lives. So we're going to look today at being careful with our words, that, that we would measure our words. So look at verse 12. Verse 12 it begins this way, words of a wise man's mouth win him favor. That is a great starting line for a verse. Now, all biblical wisdom literature eventually comes around to the words, to your words, uh, sooner or later. And words re reveal character. It's the acid test of wisdom. And Solomon has already said something about words. In chapter 7, verse 21, he said this, Don't take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. And then in the very next verse, he says this, because your heart knows how many times you yourself have cursed others. So be careful. Now, last week, we ended in verse 11 about that serpent biting before it's charmed. There's no advantage to the charmer. And, and verse 11 then becomes a parable, really, leading into verse 12, that the snake charmer is the fool who does not prepare. And the serpent uh, can be... Uh, Descriptive of the tongue, in Psalm 140, verse 3, we read this, They make their tongue sharp as a serpent, and the venom of asps, little snakes, the venom of little snakes are under their lips. The kind of person that has a very sharp tongue, might even have a smile for you, but has venom to come out of the mouth. But here in verse 12, we start this way, words of the wise bring them favor. Is good. The word of a wise man's mouth win him favor. Now, literally, that means that his words, is how the Hebrew reads, his words are grace. His words are grace. That there are gracious words coming out of his mouth, and the Hebrew literally translates it this way, literally describes it as the words are grace. It's the overriding flavor of the words, it's the permeating influence of the words is grace. Those words are humble. Those words are kind. Proverbs 22, 11 says, he who loves purity of heart, whose speech is gracious, literally grace, will have the king as his friend. You'll have appropriate words coming out of your mouth. 
Proverbs 15, 23 says to give an answer, to give an apt answer is a joy to a man and a word in season, how good it is. Proverbs 25, 11 says a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Beautiful, appropriate, humble, kind, gracious. And we see here that the overriding in ingredient of the words of the wise is grace. Now, you know when a, an ingredient gets used, let's say a spice, and the spice gets used in such a way that it permeates the entire dish that is made Sometimes that can be very, very pleasing, and sometimes it can be overpowering, right? For example, there are certain things that are unavoidable when they're used in certain cooking. They, they are uh, always detected. They can't go undetected. They can't go under the radar. I, I made, a, a, I guess, probably a bad habit. I'm, I'm just going to expose my foibles to you here. I, I started making chili with cinnamon, and I know it sounds weird, but my family will say to me, we know it has cinnamon, we're not eating it. We can smell it. We're not doing this. I have a tendency to like a lot of garlic. And it, if you eat a lot of it, chewing raw garlic cloves and swallowing them, yesterday I mixed it up with some raw spinach, wonderful, beautiful, but it, it permeates your pores. And so people who love me and know me and are close to me say, we don't like that smell. And I'm like, well, I think it's awesome. But it's a permeating, unavoidable flavor, an aroma that will not go undetected. For me, it's, it's the, uh, the thing that I can't stand is bleach. Like, I can't eat if I smell bleach. I don't know, it just it doesn't go together. But I want you to go over to Colossians chapter 4, and I want you to see two verses, what Paul says there. He's speaking about how he ought to speak. He's, he's asking beloved believers to pray for him that he would know how to speak. And then he talks about the overriding ingredient that should be a part of, of your speech. Grace, the same thing that Solomon says in Ecclesiastes. He says in verse 5, this is Colossians 4, verse 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of the time, redeeming the time, buying up the time. Verse 6, let your speech always be gracious. So filled with grace, kind, appropriate. It even says seasoned with salt. The overriding ingredient is grace. Grace. Even Jesus himself. Now, when he came to the synagogue on the Sabbath, Luke chapter 4 records it, he walks in and they, they hand him the scriptures and they hand him Isaiah. And he starts reading. And then he says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And then he goes on and speaks to them and here's what is said. All spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words coming out of his mouth. Some of you are like, well, that's Jesus. He's perfect. He's God. I'm not perfect. Of course. But if you're a Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you've trusted in Christ's finished work at the cross, he is making you more like him so that 
you would be reflecting and having a permeating influence of grace in your life and that you would actually be speaking words that could be characterized as grace. Now, the verse that haunts me is Ephesians 4.29. I don't even need to turn to it. You can turn to it. I don't even turn to it because I have it memorized. And I fall so often in this, in this regard, but it, it goes like this. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. And, and when you break that verse down, the first word that just, you know, hits you in the face, is unwholesome. That word means rotten. That's garbage. Saying, don't let garbage words come out of your mouth. Don't let words come out of your mouth that are not going to help other people, that are actually going to hurt other people. And we all know that we do this far too often. Let no unwholesome, any rotten garbage word come out of your mouth. And by the way, some of you probably use some inappropriate adjectives far too often. And maybe those close to you say, you know, you shouldn't stop, keep using those adjectives in your life because they're harmful, they're hurtful. And maybe it's become a habit in your life. Only such a word is as good for edification according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear. There's your, if you're taking notes, here's your ground rules for speaking. Here are your ground rules for speaking. The first thing you should ask is, the thing I'm about to say, will it honor God? Because you notice that the unwholesome, the garbage word, doesn't. It's not gracious. Will it honor God? And then secondly, ask the question, will it help? The words I'm about to speak, that I'm actually thinking about, and I'm going to let out of my mouth, will they honor God, and will they help? Do you notice what that verse says, Ephesians 4.29? It's good for edification, good for building people up. Will it help the person? And then your third question is, is it necessary? Will it honor God? Will it help? And is it necessary? You notice it says, according to the need of the moment. Because not every good thing needs to be said in every moment. So will it honor God? Will it help? Is it necessary? Those are the questions you should be asking before you speak. Now the contrast here is with the fool. Because the rest of verse 12 says, but the lips of a fool consume him. The Bible speaks of the tongue even being a fire. James says the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. In Psalm 52, verse 4, of the tongue, you, you love all devouring words, you deceitful tongue. So the words of a wise man's mouth are grace, but the lips of a fool consume him, consume the fool. So here you have a, this huge contrast, and here the fool's character is on display. The, the fool's reputation is on display. But even that the man himself is consumed by the consequences of the evil words. That words have consequences. That your, your words, that if you don't measure them right, they're going to have consequences. Words can devour. Now they surely reveal. They surely reveal. If you go over to Matthew chapter 12, and you notice what Jesus says. And he's speaking of trees and fruit, and he's talking about your life and my life. And he says in Matthew 12, 33, either make the tree good, 
and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. And then he goes on, you brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, here's how serious it is. On the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Now, if that doesn't stop you in your tracks, I don't know what will. It stops me in my tracks on the day of judgment. Jesus says this. People will give account for every careless word they speak. Because we need to be careful about our words. We need to measure our words. And then he says, by your words you'll be justified, by your words you'll be condemned. Are you, are you professing faith in Christ? Are you declaring that Christ is Lord? Are you pointing people to Christ? Or are things coming out of your mouth? And we know how easy this is to do, don't we? That are harmful, that are inappropriate, that are, are pushing people maybe away from Christ rather than pointing him towards Christ. Notice in verse 13 that for the fool, the beginning of the words, the very start is foolish. It's not like they started out well and then they, you know, did a nosedive. No, they, they start foolish and the end of the talk is evil madness. That tells you that it's both moral and mental. Evil madness. The source of the words are being traced to inner character. The beginning of, verse 13, the beginning of the words of a fool's mouth is foolishness. There's the start. The end of his talk is evil madness. It spans the process from foolish start to disastrous end. Wicked madness. Moral, wicked, and mental madness. Michael Eaton put it this way. Morally perverse irrationality. This is a person who refuses the will and word of God. This is the person that refuses to be taught. And by the way, our current national decline has roots in morally perverse irrationality. You can, you can trace our current national decline in the United States of America to a morally perverse irrationality. And you know what? A lot of people who profess faith in Christ have caught the disease. There are a lot of people who profess faith in Christ who have slid headfirst into these kind of depths where they have no room for unadulterated truth. They just have only room for their own ideas. Verse 14 just continues. The fool multiplies words. The fool doesn't know any, think any words that they don't want to say. Like, they don't hold themselves back. They just give full vent to everything they think. The fool hates silence. Carl Jung once said, I need many days of silence to recover from the futility of words. Paul Simon sung of people talking without speaking and people hearing without listening. But the fool hates the silence and multiplies the words even though, here's what this verse tells us in verse 14, even though no one knows what is to be and who can tell what will be after him. 
Now, that's kind of a tricky verse to, to interpret. It either means that the fool cannot see what his babbling brings, or, which I think more likely is, the fool thinks he can predict the future. How many people do you know that think that they could teach the master class in predicting the future? You can't do that. You can't do that. It says, though no man knows what is to be and who can tell him what will come after him. But the fool arrogantly presumes he knows what, how the world exactly works and that he can master the world. And so he, he traffics in ultra-confident boasting. You know anyone like that? Are you like that? No knowledge of the present, let alone the future, but, oh, I know it all. But here's what the wise does. Now, I love how the wise and the foolish are contrasted. The wise confess that they are ignorant of all the details, and they trust God. And the wise know that they are never in a position, and they will never get to a position in their life when they don't need to trust God. If you're wise, you, you know 100% of the time you need to trust God. And when you don't, you get the consequences. So the wise confess the ignorance of, of, of how everything in the world works and, and trusts God and never stops trusting God and doesn't make brash claims about their plans, you know, can't do the master class on predicting outcomes because God has not granted access to the details of how every little thing works. It's like a, a pocket watch with all these moving parts with a real movement and there's all these parts that only the watchmaker knows how they really work. It's impossible to know how the world is really set up, but there are people who think they know. And by the way, here's how God has designed it, that we would be dependent upon him, that we would live unaware of what we need to live absolutely with security and uninterrupted success. But you're not getting those answers because you're dependent upon God. We are not independent contractors. It's like James put it. When you're making your plans, and you should make plans, everyone makes plans in life, you're to say, if the Lord wills, we'll do this or that. Not, I'm going to do this, and no one's going to stop me. And you'll notice in verse 15 that the toil of the fool bleeds into their, their ways, not just, not just coming out of their mouth, but the toil of a fool wearies him. He doesn't even know the way to the city. He's getting lost on the way to the city. He doesn't have a map. He doesn't know what, he just doesn't have any sense. He won't acknowledge life's vaporous nature, how brief it is, and makes things needlessly difficult for himself, gets the simplest things wrong, would get lost on an escalator. As one person put it, doesn't know enough to come in out of the rain. Can't find the city. How could he find God? Now, by the way, not knowing the way means something specific. It doesn't just mean that he lost his map. Not knowing the way through the city means not knowing to seek wise counsel and advice. The fool knows it all. The fool never asks advice. You know anyone like that? Well, they never ask advice from anyone because they know it all. 
Not knowing the way means not knowing to seek wise counsel and advice. They won't listen. They won't submit to the wisdom of the community. And it's just like Proverbs 29, 11 says, the fool gives full vent to all his feelings. Says whatever he wants. But the wise hold it back. The wise restrain their words. Now, you know what the worst thing is? Not an unbeliever who just gives full vent to every word they want to speak. The worst thing is when a believer gives full vent to unwise words. That's the worst because the believer knows better. The unregenerate can't help themselves. But the believer, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, ought to be measuring their words and thinking before they speak and asking to those words, will they honor God? Will they help? Are they necessary? If you're anything like me, as I'm going through this, I'm thinking, wow, you know how many words I would love to have back? Now, the application is very simple on this. I was taught this by my parents when I was very young. Here it is. If you're taking notes, you won't need to. You'll, you remember this one. It's been said to you as well. Think before you speak. Think before you speak. Get counsel from trusted advisors before spouting your ideas to the ends of the earth. And we can spout our ideas to the ends of the earth very quickly today, in a second, in a millisecond. You want to be the kind of person that blesses people with your words. You want to be the kind of person that actually extends ample grace to people when you hear words that aren't the best words in the world to hear. And what I mean by that is you're going to say and you're going to hear words that belong to the wind. Job 6.26 tells us that the words of the despairing man belong to the wind. It means those words... He doesn't mean them long-term. He, he's frustrated. People say things sometimes, and you don't want to be held to everything you say in a moment of frustration or anger or being distraught, and that you need godly people around you that can help you walk through that moment, and, and also godly people who will correct you if you continue on in those moments, and, and it doesn't stop. But you need to be the kind of person who when you hear hurting people say things in pain or anger, and they don't really mean it deep down, and they're not going to hold to it long term, that you need to be the safest person in the room to be honest with. Because you want someone like that in your life. Now, I don't mean excusing sin. I don't mean excusing gossip or slander. I mean helping pr people process things in a godly way. That you would listen that you would correct where necessary, that you would help. I love Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. I've been looking at these verses like every week for months. Here's how it goes. Verse 4, Proverbs 26, verse 4. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Don't get in a big fight with a fool. But then verse 5 says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. If you don't say anything, they're going to think you agree. What you need to do is kindly and lovingly, and this is what all of us would want from people that are close to us and we trust, to rep reprove or even rebuke when necessary, especially if we're being toxic. And by the way, if the toxic person has, if there's no change at all, you're supposed to stay away from them. 
or else you'll get infected even more and you'll start doing the same thing as them. Titus 3 tells us the person who stirs up division, after warning him once or twice, have nothing more to do with him. Such a person is warped and sinful and self-condemned. Proverbs 22.10 says, drive out a scoffer, strife will go out, quarreling and abuse will cease. What you need to do is befriend truthful believers. Like people who actually have your best interest in mind. Befriend truthful believers and beware of the toxic troublers. You know how it goes. Some people will deceptively smile then betray you. Psalm 55, 21 says, their words are smooth as butter. Smooth as butter. Not straight out of the refrigerator that's cold, but like it's been sitting out at room temperature. And they're, they're, their words are smooth as butter, but war is in their heart. Their, their, their words are drawn swords. So don't waste your time. You're letting your eyes and ears and heart and mind be assaulted by un, someone's ungodly need to be seen and heard. We are to redeem the time. We are to use God's gifts in good ways. And, and I, want you to, I want you to look over at Psalm 141 for a moment. I want you to look at that. Verses 3 and 4. And, and it's something that David said, and it's a prayer he's praying. But you need to see it because it's for us today. We're going to be careful with our words if we're going to be wise. Here's what David prayed. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Okay, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Lord, keep watch over the door of my lips. I, I love that picture, the door of my lips. You know, I open up my lips and I start saying things. Lord, please set a guard over my mouth. Please Keep watch over the door of my lips. This is the person who wants to do what is right, who wants to honor God, who, in fact, he says, do not let my heart incline to any evil, to busy myself with wicked deeds in company with men who work iniquity, and let me not eat of their delicacies. I don't want to be spoiled by all of that garbage. Set a guard over my mouth. But here's the thing that you and I need to understand. That's not autopilot. Like, okay, I asked God to do it. I'm going to go and just do whatever I want because God's going to put a guard over my mouth. No, no, no. Your part is to choose wise words, to measure your words before you speak and ask the questions. Will it honor God? Will it help? Is it needed right then? I think of, of what Paul said to Timothy, guard through the Holy Spirit that indwells you, the good deposit that's been entrusted to you, the, the gospel, guard through the Holy Spirit. And this is how you, when you're praying that God would guard your words, you being indwelt by the Holy Spirit, if you're a believer, are going to set a guard yourself as the Holy Spirit helps you and gives you strength, but you're going to make some wise decisions to hold back some words that you want to speak. You're going to exercise what is called self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit. It's proof of the Spirit of God being at work in your life. Now, depraved people disregard God's revelation over and over again, but dependent believers decide to measure their words. I want you to go to one more place, Psalm 19. 
Psalm 19. It's all about the Word of God. And it's, it's, it's very telling that right after you hear all these things about the Word of God, then you hear about things about the words we use. Because the Word of God received by faith with gladness transforms hearts and words. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. These are, these are all synonyms for, for the word of God. The law of the Lord, the testimony, the precepts, the commandment, the fear, the rules. They, they revive the soul. They make wise the simple. They rejoice the heart. They enlighten the eyes. They endure forever. They're righteous altogether. And then verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold, much fine gold, sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. And then verse 11, moreover, by them, by everything God says, your servant is warned. Warned that we would be careful with our words. In keeping them, there is great reward. Verse 12, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back, verse 13, your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, innocent of great transgression. And then look at verse 14. This psalm caps off with this. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, this is the prayer of the redeemed, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Let them be gracious. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, be careful with your words, beloved. Be careful. Measure them. Someone once prayed, O Lord, please make my words sweet. I might have to eat them. You think right, and then broadcast. You be careful with your words because they have consequences. Measure your words, mind your ways. They, they matter more than you know. You're going to either lead people toward Christ or further away. You want to give grace. You don't want the name of God to be blasphemed. Just be careful with your words. Be very careful. You know, you, you never know who's listening. You never know who's who's watching. But praise God, God sees and hears it all. And we live, as the Latin tells us, coram Deo, before the face of God. Life happens, coram Deo, in the, in the presence of God, before the face of God. You and I need to live life aware today of the presence of God surrendered to his sovereign sufficiency, under his authority, for his glory, Live before the face of God. Receive from the hand of God. Measure your words. Whatever you say or do, do it in God's sight. You can't flee his presence. He's everywhere. He's omnipresent. But you can fear him and worship him. Reverence him. I love what the psalmist prays in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and Know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, that's our prayer today. That you would search our hearts, that we, in our thoughts, in our words, would not be grievous, but we would be gracious. That we would honor you, that we would live self-controlled. So many of us feel so out of control at times. And Lord, we pray by your spirit, through your word, for your glory, that you would help us, strengthen us to make wise choices with our words. 
that spring from our heart. All for your glory, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Come now to the Lord's table. Asking God to search our hearts. He knows us. Christ died in our place. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, you're trusting in his finished work, you know that he died for your sins in your place, then this table is for you. You don't need to be a member of Grace Church. You need to be a member of the worldwide body of Christ, the universal church of the redeemed, those who come to a table like this by the mercy of Christ. They come to the table like this on the merits of Christ, not on our own merits. We don't bring anything to the table except grateful hearts. You know, when Jesus was in that synagogue Recorded in Luke 4 on that Sabbath day, and they gave, he was given Isaiah to read. Here's what he read, and here's what he fulfilled The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to proclaim the Lord's grace. This is the table of grace. We are instructed to come to this table where Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body. And he took a cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And he kept saying, do this in remembrance of me. We are remembering Jesus Christ. Died in our place, risen from the dead. And we're not to partake of the table in an unworthy manner, meaning no unbeliever should partake of the table. Only repentant believers, only people who are grateful for the grace of God and the mercy of God in their life, we come to this table knowing that we are dependent upon Jesus for everything. We take the bread. Knowing this is symbolizing God's grace to the undeserving. Jesus said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It was because of his great love with which he loved us. The love of Christ controls us, constrains us. We concluded this, one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who, for their sake, died and was raised. And so we come to the cup, and Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. He said, drink of it, all of you. We thank you, Lord, that as often as we eat the bread and drink the cup, in obedience to you, we proclaim Christ's death until he comes again. We preach Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. As you have said, Lord, we love you, Lord. We thank you for this table. We thank you for the reminder it is of your grace and your mercy. Let me pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
stand with us as we close in singing. Fear my path will fail. Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, He will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold. trouble, but from uh, the power and penalty of sin, and one day we'll be, we'll be uh, delivered from, from the presence of sin. What a day that will be. What, what a day. And until that day, we trust the Lord dependently. We'll close with Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling 
and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen.